Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about One Night in Miami, the directorial debut from Regina King, about a fictionalized night in Miami when Malcolm X, Cassius Clay, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke all met in a hotel room and what might have happened. And it's a really interesting movie, uh, really great movie, and one that I was really happy to talk about with my guest co-host, David Quinones, from our other podcast, Bird Road. So we've got that coming up here in a second, but before we get into it, I want to, of course, as always, remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together and Bird Road while you're at it. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us on, of course, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, but we're on Pocket Casts, we're on all of them, you know, also on Podchaser and all that stuff, and you can rate and review us. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod, join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, and don't forget to check out our website, PiecingPod.com, where we got a lot of great content, all the old episodes, uh, a bunch of other bonus stuff too, and we're, we're planning a, a lot of new things for this new year uh, to go specifically on the website. So you can sign up for our mailing list while you're there, and uh, you'll find out about it as soon as it starts going up. So, uh, with all that said, let's get into our conversation about One Night in Miami. All right, so Q is back on the show with us today up, to talk up? about One Night in Miami. Q, how you doing? Pretty good. Thank you very much for um, thinking of me when it came mm. to this, uh, this tome on black excellence. Yes. Well, you, <laughs> let, let let it let it be said that uh, when when I first saw that there was a movie coming out called One Night in Miami, it was Regina King's directorial debut, and uh, it was you know coming out at the time where it was going to be you know big awards contender and all that. But I didn't even know what it was about. I just said, "Oh, One Night in Miami, I got to have Q on," and so there yes. we are. Now now I know what it's about, and maybe maybe I wouldn't have had you on, but uh, I'm it's sure bullshit. we'll have a conversation. What the fuck? <laughs> you know this is where hey. this is where identity politics gets you man <laughs> yeah backed up against a yeah. wall where you feel bad about inviting your best friend mm-hmm. who's yeah. lived in miami for 15 years yeah onto well this show. movie is it's specifically about miami like that it couldn't have taken place anywhere else right well it's funny because i saw somebody write that um the hampton house which has sort of it's like the hampton house is still around here in miami but it's in a different part of town and it's become more of like a historical preservation society but in this movie it plays like a um 
like almost like a silent fifth character kind mm. of it's like the backdrop for you know and i'm sure we'll get into this but it's a backdrop for for everything that happens it's this it was this um uh you know place in overtown which is prior to being called overtown was called colored town in mm. um in in kind of in between where little havana what is now little havana and uh downtown miami like kind of in between there um it was this you know i think the people who watched uh watchmen this year they became familiar for the first time with um black wall street and mm. overtown was very much like that overtown was this successful epicenter of black culture in the jim crow south uh you know kind of living where the residents there like kind of lived as um as productively and as functionally as you can in in a segregated you know in the, in the segregated american south um for years for decades like it, until uh the federal government came in and built the um built the uh the i-95 overpass hence the name right. overtown um you know and started to really degrade the community and then of course when the cia put drugs in the community in the in the 80s and the 70s and 80s uh that didn't help either so um <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> yeah no and that's all just such like a uh, a backdrop of this whole thing and so yeah definitely the the location is a part of it uh but that's also a story that happened throughout a lot of major cities throughout this country uh, especially during that particular time period i will say that miami does not i don't think it's the respect that it deserves for being or maybe honestly the the disrepute that it deserves for being ahead of the curve in the civil rights um era like there were a lot of marches sit-ins um, demonstrations that didn't get the uh coverage that like Greensboro did or, or, mm. you know, Selma or a lot of other, um, touchstone moments in the civil rights era. But Miami was first, Miami had a lunch, a lunch counter sit in before, um, Greensboro, before mm. a lot of the more high profile ones, it was happening here. It was a conversation here. There was, you know, you don't say that there was like money because it's not like there was, uh, it's not like, it's not like even the the, mo the most um, sort of well-to-do black communities back then weren't like rich or anything like that. They were just doing okay. And mm -hmm. uh, that was Overtown. And so that's the kind of places where you would see a lot of these movements pop up. And Miami had, um, had people refusing to move from the, from the front of the bus, uh, black people refusing to move from the front, front of the bus before Rosa Parks did it. They had right. uh, lunch counter sit-ins before the Woolworth in um you know in Asheville and the one in Greensboro and uh you know there were marches here before Selma and before a lot of the other sort of high profile marches it's kind of lost to history a little bit but it's awesome that they made this movie and that we get to talk about it so CQ was a good uh, pick for my my co-host on this episode <laughs> <laughs> so uh let's start getting into some puzzle pieces here uh what do you got for your first puzzle piece for one night in miami yeah let's jump into it um the first one i want to do is very there's no chance that anybody um other than maybe regina king the filmmaker um watched this uh very few people saw it it was uh, a wlrn production which is our local npr affiliate in uh, the year 2008 they produced a great documentary by the um the venerable well-known documentarian Alan Tomlinson called Muhammad Ali made in Miami. So, mm -hmm. um, this documentary focuses on Muhammad Ali during this very formative time where he was at a really young age, 
coming to grips with the way that things were. He came from Louisville, Kentucky. He had never been anywhere like Miami. He had never seen anything like this city. And for him to come here and see that some things from his hometown, uh, despite this international hub of like, you know, business and, you know, this, this huge metropolitan area, completely different than where he lived, that some things were still the same, that he wasn't mm-hmm. allowed to, you know, the, we they didn't get into the into it in the movie that that much, but the Fifth Street Gym was such was this like in this documentary they talk about the Fifth Street Gym in Miami Beach being this little island of democracy and equality in a sea of segregation because of Miami Beach, as we saw in the movie, if you were black, unless you were Sam Cook and you had white people working for you, you weren't mm. allowed to stay in the hotels, right? And um, and the fifth street gym was a place where in Miami beach, where it didn't matter if you were white or black, all you had to be able to do is fight. If you were a good fighter, you were there, you were in. And um, now it's like a burger King it sucks, but like the fifth street gym is this very, you know, historic uh, space. And Ali then clay at the time, as he's known through most of the movie uh, mm-hmm. one night in Miami, he was uh he was confronted with this reality of like going in and training for all this time in this gym where he was treated as an equal by everybody else who came in there, but having to get on a a bus or having to, um, you know, jog or run across the causeway, eight miles back to Overtown every night because he wasn't allowed to stay in a hotel on Miami beach. And Mm -hmm. that was this incredibly formative, um, experience for him. Um, obviously what came next was, the coming out party of what somebody who I think is like one of the greatest Americans in the history of our country. I think Muhammad Ali, I mean, I have this picture over my, like I keep a picture of him here in my studio. He's one of my favorite people of all time. Um, He represents the best, the best things in this country. And um, uh, yeah, and I, I think that a lot of those things were probably always there with him and they came out during that time. If you want to watch it, I think it's free online. You can find it. Because uh, it's nice. a, a, a NPR, um, you know, public or public television show, uh, WLRN yeah. uh, produced it. It's called Muhammad Ali Made in Miami. Came out in 2008. Alan Tomlinson, great documentarian too. Um, he passed away a few years ago, but a lot of really good stuff. He, he's documented Miami for a long time. He's such a fascinating character, and like, there, there's just so there's so much to him to to Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, where. I mean, they could make so many movies out of different like periods of his life, different things that he was involved in, and just yeah, I, I could totally see uh, that being a really interesting documentary. I probably should check it out. Yeah, I mean, just uh, talk about, and I, I think a theme that was quiet, and they didn't really hit it over the head in this movie was one where they were all four of these guys gave up so much and you look at them and you're like jim brown was rich and famous for his whole life and it's like sam cook yeah he you know he fucked up and got high and got killed and which by the way very much up for debate i'll let you every all the all the listeners out there go do your own research on the death of sam cook and what really went Mm -hmm. down there but i'm not going to get too conspiratorial about that um (laughs) but i mean like muhammad ali oh you know well he got sick that's sad He, he he you know he uh, he didn't get to you know have have golden years as it were you know because of, uh, those were robbed of him and um, Malcolm X anybody anybody with a pulse knows what happened to Malcolm X right but like collectively this group of four men had so many even the ones who survived even Jim Brown even like even Muhammad Ali who did live 
to be an older man, despite, you know, his struggle with Parkinson's like they, the, they lost so much because of the positions that they took. Mm. They lost enormous amounts of opportunities. These guys would have been, if they were alive today, they'd have been the LeBron James level of, of notoriety and fame. And most of them were hated, hated mm. in their heyday. That's the thing. And we're, we're doing recording this like a week after uh, Martin Luther King Day. And I'm always surprised at like, how short our memory is that when Martin Luther King was assassinated, he was the one of the most hated men in America and that we should always be thinking about that. Like what the fuck is wrong with us that this person that we veneer these four people who we now veneer uh, and, and um, revere, I should say, uh, and, and, and think about uh, in such positive light that we hated them in the moment. Right. And I say, we like largely white people hated them in that moment. And now it's like, oh, well, they get their own special days and cool movies by Regina King that make us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, well, okay, maybe you should be a little bit more conscious of the real history, which I think that Regina King did a great job of portraying. Right. Absolutely. So what's your first? So I'm going to get this one out of the way first, uh, just so it could bring up my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, and, and this is not a uh, a movie that I think was really influential to the movie, but I just wanted to use it as a puzzle piece anyway. And that's Inside Lewin Davis from the Coen Brothers, because it's another movie <laughs> okay. where a singer is made to feel inadequate compared to Bob Dylan. And okay. so I, I just Very... love the scenes so much where Malcolm X just totally takes Sam Cooke to task for acting like he can't have a hit and speak on the issues of the day at the same time. And he plays uh, Blowing in the Winds, and it's like, oh, fuck, yeah, I guess you can, <laughs> you know? And he has no excuse whatsoever in that moment. And it's just such a wonderful scene. And uh, it, it, he's, you know, uh, like I said, made to feel inadequate. It's it's a different way, but still, uh, the Lewin Davis character just totally being overshadowed by Bob Dylan and inside Lewin Davis, I thought would be a good setup for that conversation. A uh, great movie, obviously. I just would love to, like, imagine a, a cut of um of sam cook kind of strumming his way as we see him do strumming his way through the early chords progression of what will end up being um a change is going to come and then just cut mm-hmm. to f murray abraham saying i don't see any money here <laughs> i don't see any money here <laughs> one of the best scenes of the last <laughs> decade for sure <laughs> just i mean i remember watching that scene you know because that's what you're making this about you're making it specifically i think about that like gulf you know like what is it the the saying that man's grasp exceeds his reach or whatever and uh like that's that scene that moment where where um oscar isaac is playing his heart out and it Mm -hmm. just it just gets deflated and completely falls out i mean the entire texts have been written about that scene it's 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 great Really good. So pick. damn good. So damn good. Well, what do you got for your next piece? So for my next piece, piece I wanted to uh, highlight one of my all-time favorite movies. A little bit problematic. If you have, um, if you have the director Regina King riding a high off of you know Watchmen and off of this movie and off of a bunch of other projects, as sort of like a a, a woman for the moment, right? Like she's really a woman for the moment. Perhaps the polar opposite of her would be Roman Polanski. And mm. I wanted to bring up 2011's Carnage, which yeah. um, great movie. I hope I didn't, or maybe I do hope I did steal one off of you. No, you know what? I didn't put it down, but I definitely considered it. Okay, Carnage was um, a play that was uh, 
it originally was a play. It was uh, called uh, Les Deux du Carnage, and it was starring uh, Jodie Foster, Kate Winslet, Christopher Waltz, John C. Riley. It's four people trapped in a room under slightly pettier and less consequential circumstances, I would say. Mm, um, fair. They were not a portrayal of excellence, these four people. They were a portrayal of pettiness, meanness, grievance, cowardice, um, vanity. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the, the dynamic is similar where it, you know, it, the, the evening comes to a head, things become testy, uh, things get really out of hand at one point. Uh, I would say that that is, it's a bigger, what, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to highlight is the way that a, a stage writer probably has to work to, to craft something in space and be like, okay, we're keeping them right here. Maybe they go yeah. up to the roof. Maybe these two go into the hallway, right? And, and, and to, and to keep the dynamic fresh and moving and not just have it be like blocks and blocks of dialogue going back and forth and just being like, well, here's my idea about the way things are. Oh, well, here's what I think about what you just said. I mean, the, the pitfalls are so easy, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I wonder how that process is. Cause this, uh, this writer, Kent Powers also wrote the stage play. And so I, I wonder the, the adaptation of your own work, uh, you know, to not go too far into making it totally cinematic where it's just still just these people in this room for the most part, but just adding things that, you know, help to create a fuller uh, story. And I haven't seen the play. Uh, are, are, do you know whether or not the play contained some of the, you know, like we see, there are some scenes that feel like they were added in, like it's particularly at the beginning um, mm-hmm. fight scenes. I can't imagine that they had the actual two boxing matches that they highlighted. Right. I, ca- I can't imagine that they pulled that off in, in on a stage play. And then also there were several uh, scenes with Fergie with, uh, with, with um, what do you call it? With uh, Angelo Dundee and, and, and other members of um, Ali's uh, culture. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't imagine that like, do you know whether or not they had those in the stage play or no? I don't. And I, I had kind of uh, just assumed that the play was, literally just what happens in the room but i i could yeah. be wrong about that though i think that would be i mean again i haven't seen the play so i have to you know confess ignorance but like it seems like the coolest way to do the play would be like literally the fight's over and the first thing that we see is is sam cook walk into the room and that yeah. that that part which i think is about 16 or 17 minutes into the movie right right Absolutely. what's next dave so uh, I'm going to also do a play to film. Uh, it's 2008's Ron Howard film, Frost Nixon. Uh, oh, I, I thought about this one. I thought about this yeah, one. It's, and it's a, a really solid film about the, uh, the interview between David Frost and Richard Nixon, uh, 1977. And uh, it, it's similarly talky, you know, and yeah. it's, it's based on a, a real event where this isn't necessarily a real event, although these are real people and they were actually friends and they probably did meet up at many times, you know, similar to this. Uh, but this is all dramatized. But Frost Nixon does, uh, from what I understand, dramatize a lot of the, uh, you know, preamble up to the actual interview. And so it, it's... First of all, like we were talking about, that adaptation of a uh, stage play into film, and then also basing it on real people and real events, uh, and then dramatizing it in a way to to heighten uh, heighten what that is all about. Yeah, um, I, I think I think that's a good pick. 
Uh, I love Trust Nixon. And Great movie. I, yeah, and you know there is that move. And I don't know if this is someone that you still have left, so maybe I'm shitting on you a little bit here. But it's like, there are two things that I didn't want to add to this list, and they are Frost Nixon doesn't do this. A lot of times when you fictionalize events that are likely to have happened and you mm. put your own spin on them, they come out incredibly corny. And there's two things I was thinking about. One is Hamilton, which I detested and which was... Mm-hmm so corny i understand it's a reimagining and i I mean like obviously it is what it is it's 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 this new genre but i did not it's a semi-new genre um but taking those modern sensibilities and slapping them onto something like that and kind of shoehorning it in hamilton at least had some pretty good music i kind of enjoyed some of the music musical numbers um and of course uh god what's the actor's name dave who plays sam cook uh he, he was he's incredible in, in hamilton as much as oh I yeah like hamilton. leslie odom jr Les, leslie odom i can never remember his yeah. name leslie odom jr is just unbelievably talented but i, I don't like hamilton yeah. i absolutely detested with every fiber of my being the trial of the chicago seven that did the same thing <laughs> one of the uh, absolute most fucking dog shit movies i've seen in years where Which, by the way is going to be up for every oscar every fucking oscar <laughs> because because they didn't give him his oscar for a few good men or maybe they did i don't know and now like this is the move that they do because they go by 30 they, they wait 30 years and they're like oh we should have given it to you for a few good men well and- it's also anti trump you know that in the air and so people just want to you know get political but in that kind of you know right. centrist democrat political way Ugh, the worst <laughs> <laughs> um God. it's d- dog shit so anyway a movie that i think did that well mm-hmm. and i only saw this once and i honestly this movie was like one of those smooth round orbs that you kind of it was very like but non-controversial uh Although it was a really well done movie, it was a beautiful movie. It was 2016's Loving. Did you ever see Loving, Dave? Sure, yeah, great so, movie. Uh, directed by Jeff Nichols. Um, I love him so Joel much. Joel Edgerton and um, Ruth Nega, who I, I went on to do like four seasons of Preacher. And then, like, I, I'm, has she done much other than that? She has not done much in film, that's for sure. She should be in film more. She's awesome. She yeah. was incredible in this and she's great in everything. Um, but I, I don't know. I thought she was going to have a much bigger career i don't know whatever it's only been five years she could probably still just be huge or whatever but but uh this is something that happened right state of virginia versus um versus uh loving and it was oh my god how long ago was it that black people weren't allowed to get married to white people 90 years 110 years no dude it was like 45 years ago it was not that long ago and um or 55 years ago i suppose 40 40 50-ish years, whatever, when, when the movie was made. And um, it tells that story of, uh, you know, the, the legal battle to for these two people to be able to get married. Um, and again, just like with, with, uh, with One Night in Miami, you think that these things, I mean, if you're a person of color, you don't think this. But if you're, right. I think if you're, if you're a white person, you probably do think like that this is ancient history. This mm-hmm. stuff. And it's not. It isn't at all. It's very recent that yeah. all of this stuff was codified and it was law and it was the way of the land. So um, I picked Loving for that reason and also because it was 
obviously a fictionalization, right, of what happened because right. we have some contemporaneous ideas of what happened, just like we do have some contemporaneous ideas of what happened on that one night in Miami that um, Ali won the heavyweight championship of the world. But we don't know the exact dialogue. You know, it wasn't all recorded sure. or whatever. Same thing with with the Supreme Court case um, of Loving versus Virginia. So, uh, yeah, Loving 2016. You remember that movie at all or no? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great movie. And it was such an interesting movie for Jeff Nichols to do after like mud and, you know, all, all those things that he was kind of known for. It was like a really uh, interesting left turn. But um, it, that actually makes me wonder about Regina King as a director, just briefly before going to our next puzzle piece. Like this, this is an interesting pick to like, you know, adapt a, a stage play like this. I mean, it's to to get these kinds of uh, people that it's about, you know, these I, I I don't want to call them characters. I mean, they're real people, but you know what I mean. Um, right. Yeah, to 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 make a movie about them that makes sense. I'm curious to see what her voice as a filmmaker is going forward, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's funny because like you and I had a text chat a few days ago about Zack Snyder, right? Mm -hmm. Does anybody ask what Zack Zack Snyder's voice as a filmmaker is? Zack Snyder has only people, ever adapted IP. He's right. literally never done anything that he, on his own. He, like from the, the, what do you call it? Land of the Dead, which, or uh, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, great, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Fucking great movie. But guess what? It was a George Romero universe movie. Right? Yeah. Before, there was a, before the idea of expanded universes. That was a George Romero expanded universe movie. Um, and virtually everything else. Actually, not, not virtually. Literally everything else that he's done has been IP. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that what Regina King has done here is probably a lot more challenging because look at all the shit that Quentin Tarantino got just for taking a tiny liberties with Bruce Lee, by the way, liberties that a lot of people who knew Bruce Lee agree were not that far from the truth. Like, yeah, Bruce right. Lee was kind of a, you know, uh, a, 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 a egotistical prick like in real life, which I mean, fuck he's Bruce Lee. He deserves to be an egotistical prick. Totally. I would be too. He's yeah. fucking Bruce Lee. But <laughs> I mean, like heaven forbid, you know, somebody and, and, um, well, she is getting some trouble for uh, Kingsley Benadire playing Malcolm X, who's a British actor, and yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's not my place to really comment on it too Obama much, but X. like, yeah, like, <laughs> is that a problem? Like, I don't know. That's a that's a that's an old gripe, right? Like, I mean, they, um, I don't know. What are the contours of the complaints? Is it like that? Uh, you know, he's that a, it should a, a it shouldn't be a British person. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, like from from he's like a. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know enough to to understand the contours of the the complaints, unless it's just the general. It, there's that general sentiment that that Brits take all the best American roles, but that's across, I guess there's that too. That's across color lines. That's like not just black. That's like, I mean, that fucking terrible movie or TV show that I just got done watching, um, uh, going down or whatever, falling apart. No, the Undoing. <laughs> The Undoing. Oh God, that was it awful. shows it. Sh yeah, but did you notice that? I looked it up. Every single person with a speaking role in this Upper West Side based, like New York City, Manhattan based uh, television show, every single person is either British or Australian or Irish or That's Welsh. True, actually, I there's not about that. not a single American actor. <laughs> Even the little kids are putting on. And then you wonder why they like. You're like, it's like this high end really well acted well made tv show but like you'll hear like a random actor will be like hey we gotta head on over there and you're like why are you why are you talking that way 
That's not how that's Americans not, talk. That's not working at all. And then, like some guy, like a cabbie will be like, cabbie will be like, like, hey, what's up? You're going out over there to Long Island today. LIE is really backed up. And you're like, let me look this guy up. And he's like, like Hereford Vershire. England or something like that. He's from some <laughs> fucking like Derbylandia or some shit like that. Anyway, um, whose turn is it? Oh uh, yeah, it's up to me. Uh, I'll go with my next piece, and this is actually a movie I just watched for the first time since middle school for an awesome movie year episode. Uh, it is 1984's Best Picture winner, Amadeus, which is just one of the best movies. Holy of all shit! Time. What was it with middle school? Did you did your like music teacher show you that? Yeah, apparently I, I posted on Facebook asking if anybody remembered from my school and they totally all remembered. I wasn't sure about it. My, mine too. My middle school teacher showed me that movie too. And we all loved it cause there's farting and oh, like, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it <laughs> since then though. I mean, it's so good. It holds up so damn well, but, um, but yeah, I, I picked it though because, uh, it, you know, it's this, this totally dramatized version of uh, and fictionalized version of what these two famous characters in history, uh, Amadeus Mozart and and Salieri, what their their rivalry could have been, what their friendship could have been, and like the whole back and forth between them. And in in this movie, One Night in Miami, we're getting this, uh, you know, again, this fictionalized version of these four friends all meeting. Uh, these very famous people from throughout history. And so it, it's, I think, a very similar thing in that you're kind of seeing behind closed doors what might have been between these people. And uh, yeah, I, it's just such a damn good movie. And uh, we brought up F. Murray Abraham earlier in this conversation. This is the second time. So. Cool. Um, I don't really remember it that much, to be honest with you. Like You need, I, you need to rewatch it. It's so I, good. I, I know I, I know it's insane, right? It's yeah. like, uh, isn't it? It's like a very like Baz Luhrmann-y, like crazy shit, right? Yeah, I, I guess it would be definitely like the biggest influence on someone like that for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess I'll rewatch it. It's long though, right? It's like five it's, hours. It's very long, and we talk about this a lot on Awesome Movie Year. But like they they have pretty much erased the original cut, which was two hours and forty minutes, and only the three hour director's cut exists at this point. Oh, like wow. you have to find a rare DVD to watch the original cut. So, but everybody should watch it. Well, I got one piece left and okay. it, it was more like a, an add on. It's, it's not like a home run swing or anything. It's just like a little, little movie that I think has been forgotten along with broadly. And maybe I'm wrong about this. I didn't check his IMDB, but this movie has been forgotten along with the overall ambitions of Steve Buscemi to become a director. Uh, which he wanted to do a number of years ago. He wanted to be a director. I know that because uh, our next puzzle piece is 2007's Interview, which mm. starred Steve Buscemi, Sienna Miller, and not really anybody else, just the two of them for about an hour and a half uh, of screen time in a um, in an apartment in Manhattan uh, playing sort of a, a game of tete-a-tete just kind of going back and forth at each other, criticizing each other. Uh, of course, Steve Buscemi is playing a um, like a, a battle-hardened political, cynical political correspondent who's being forced by his public by his magazine to report on a silly pop star, Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller is a much smarter than she seems, very savvy. Um, you know, on the cusp of I think like one of the 
storylines that they set up is that she's sort of like on the cusp of of what at that time was social media she like knows how to manage things digitally she's like there's there's uh i think something else that comes into play with like recording video and i don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen this movie yet but there's like it turns out that she's not the vacuous dumbass that that people think she is um so yeah uh i (laughs) i had that piece and um I think it's pretty self-explanatory. It's the whole movie. The two of them are sort of going back and forth with each other in one room, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a limited set. I think that, uh, that this did not come from a stage play. I couldn't find any evidence that it had. I think it was an original production by Steve Buscemi. I think so. Yeah. I think it was original. Um, I, ha- I hadn't even heard of this movie until recently. We considered it for an awesome what? movie. Episode, How did actually. you not know about this movie? This is so up your alley. I know. I was so shocked when I found out that he had directed a movie. And it's, so, it's such uh, a good movie too. It's so good. Uh, it's really, really good. I got to watch it sometime soon for sure. Uh, my last piece is two pieces and two very, very obvious ones. Uh, two biopics that were huge deals, Malcolm X and Ali, uh, which Mm -hmm. I think are kind of impossible to, you know, get away from the shadow of because they're just such big movies. Of course, Malcolm X directed by Spike Lee and Ali by, uh, Michael Mann and with, uh, Denzel Washington and, uh, Will Smith. I mean, how, how can those performances not inform a movie where these are two of the main characters? And so, you know, I don't think talking about what are better movies is really a part of the conversation. It's more just that, uh, these, these presences, these larger than life presences have been portrayed in such uh, memorable ways in the past. And so I think that that informs this movie in some way. Yeah. And the, um, like, wasn't it Mo Better Blues too, which I don't have listed here, but Mo Better Blues, I think was, uh, it, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with some of the themes of Sam Cooke's career, where it was like about that sort of independence, that artist independence. I think that that it wasn't a biopic per se. But it didn't even, right? You know, it wasn't about Sam Cooke, but it was like, um, uh, yeah, you it's know, about I, like I, those artists of that era, like, right? I, yeah. I would say, you know, what's another one that maybe people should check out. I haven't seen it, and it's not a movie, and I'm just pulling it off the top of my head right now. A little bonus puzzle piece. Mm-hmm. No Limit Chronicles. How about that, Dave? The documentary that came out last summer. It was like a five-part five part one-hour documentary. Is this, is this a real thing? This is a real thing. The No Limit Chronicles about, what was it, Cash Money or No Limit? No Limit. No uh, Limit. Yeah, no yeah. Limit uh, yeah, Master, Master P and the Golden Master Platinum P. Tank. Yeah. And um, Master P signed what music critics and music experts have called the greatest deal ever signed yeah, in the I believe history it. of music. He owns every inch of his, his IP of his property of his, he owns the fucking golden tank. He owns all of it. All of it is his, none of it is rented. None of it is for show. All of his masters, all of his, you know, when, when you, when you play, uh, you know, make him say, uh, on Spotify, oh, yeah. You, like when you when when we play like a David by David Rosen song on Spotify, you get one one millionth of a penny. When we play, mm-hmm. when when we play, make him say on Spotify, he gets like fifteen bucks. Like he has like <laughs> the best deal in the world. 
<laughs> when you think about those No Limit CDs back back at that time, 90, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, like right around there, um, those were the kind of albums that should have just been being sold out of someone's trunk. And somehow they were in every Sam Goody, every Tower Records across the huge, entire country. Huge. And, and, How and is they that all possible? Had, and they were the first ones to do like, I would say maybe the only other people that did this were like Beastie Boys maybe. But like Maybe. the um where they do the uh uh branding like it, like mm-hmm. the the it, how do I how am I describing it It was a visual identity and you knew it was a no limit record right like the minute you oh, touched yeah. it well they had those your, plastic cases too so those who, were amazing who was your favorite uh uh no limit soldier probably I I'd have to go with Master P I mean but I really? I, I loved all uh, yeah seriously I mean I like mystical you know, Snoop, I mean Snoop was but... Snoop was technically no limit I know he technically was uh oh you know who I liked I like uh Skullduggery <laughs> Oh I remember Skullduggery mine was mine was although he uh ran into some trouble later in life I will or like really right around that time in life I will say Mystical Mystical was the fucking best dude was. He was he was so good, but yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. support any of his extracurricular activities. That yeah, let's let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was great, man. Come on, mystical. Oh yeah, some great some classics right there. <laughs> well, I'll do the finished puzzle, and then we'll uh, wrap this thing up. Uh, the movies we talked about here were Muhammad Ali, Made in Miami, Inside Lewin Davis, Carnage, Frost Nixon, Loving, Amadeus, Interview. Malcolm X and Ali. And of course that no limit documentary series, which no I Chronicles. really need to watch. The no I limit Chronicles. It came out on BT over the summer. I think if I'm not mistaken, oh. I had randomly seen it, but like, Hey man, that's black excellence. Owning oh. your shit, owning every inch of your shit, not letting some, some, some motherfucker, you know, lay claim to it. You don't know about this, but me, Random, and Demise have been planning for years to do a No Limit album that just sounds from front to back like a No Limit classic, like 98, 99 album. You guys rap? Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't say that on the show. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let, let's close up One Night in Miami. Uh, so uh, you, you like this movie overall? I did like it. I did like it. Um, I didn't like... It took a little bit... Look, if you're going to watch this movie, if you haven't yet, be ready because the sort of I don't want to say cheesiness, but like the on the noseness of the dialogue, would you agree is a little like I, like I don't like this historical st- the, the 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 historical reimagining stuff. I hate it when like one character will walk up and be like, damn Sam Cook, can't believe that you just had four number one uh, ch- uh chart topping hits over the last seven months. You're the first ever person to do that. I I like I hate the forced exposition and the dialogue. I hate that. And this this is a play and it's forced in there. Like it, because that's, I know what you are. mean it. And I, I feel like it really kind of peters off once we get to the hotel room and it's not so bad, it, but it's mostly that first like 15 minutes or so where you get a lot of that kind of stuff. And I totally know what you mean, um, yeah, but it definitely I, I, gets better. I would say that the, in the hotel room, there's this scene where they give the Cassius clay character a lot of expositional shit to say. That mm. comes across very corny, and they really want you to know, like, oh, well, this is this is the Muhammad Ali that you, that people will see later, and right. it's just a little forced. I can't imagine Muhammad Ali actually being in that room and putting on that sort of like show with people that he actually knows, especially knowing that 
like we know now, a lot of what Muhammad Ali did was a show. He was like, he he and he would turn it off, you know, when he was mm. in private moments. And, um, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I felt like that was forced and a little silly, but that's nitpicking. I'm, I'm nitpicking. Right. I like this movie a lot. I think this movie stands as the one thing I don't like is when movies like this become analogs. Like when, 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 movie people or or film people or culture writers or whatever try to take movies like this and make them analogs for our current moment right which right. is a lot of what's happening right now it's like uh, a prescient movie a movie that is like so relevant for our times and it's mm. like it's really not relevant for our times and it's pretty fucking disrespectful to the people who actually achieved everything that was achieved in the civil rights era to say that our time is like then like you can be black now and go get a hotel room at the Fountain Blue. And that's because of the things that those people did. And right, there's a different right. set of inequities. And there's a different set of social justice um, chasms that need to be crossed and filled. And like it's, I, I think I hate that. I hate when people take a movie like this and they're like, wow, things really haven't changed huh?" to this day. And it's like, no, motherfucker, they have changed. You missed the point of the movie. These people yeah. did change something. And yeah. like, and this should be a movie like this should be a celebration of that. Like I said before, right. it's like, it's black excellence. It's like revolutionary people that did incredible things, um, to varying degrees. And I think it's great. Awesome. Well, uh, let's close it on that. That's a, a very positive note to close it on. So, uh, do you have another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Have you talked about, um, the kid detective yet on your, on this or no? Uh, no, I'm actually going to be recording an episode with Josh Bell, but I would love more people to watch it before we get around to that episode. Why don't, so why don't you tell people about it? watched Kid Detective. It got panned, by the way. What the fuck was that? I, I read after you, it. Dave recommended this movie. It's, uh, you know, Adrian Brody, um, or not Adrian Brody. What's his name? <laughs> Adam Brody. <laughs> Adam Brody. Yeah. Sorry. Adam Brody. I, I could see Adrian Brody playing this role though, possibly. 10 years but, ago, uh, maybe. Yeah. 10, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, this movie was quirky, great, weird. If you're like me, if you like movies that are like these odd neo-noir style movies that um, are kind of fucked up. I don't know. I feel like I'm not doing it justice in my explanation. Watch it. It's great. Don't read the reviews. I, I like you, re- you recommended it to me. I watched it. I was like affected enough by it that I wanted to look up and see what other people had said about it. Universally panned. Everybody hated this movie. It's very, very strange. And I... I don't understand it. I mean, it does have its fans. It's not like it's everybody that hated it. Uh, but but yeah, it's very strange. And also I think that it was it was it's in in this weird post-COVID world, burying a movie means releasing it to theaters first with no planned digital release strategy whatsoever. Um, this movie Yeah, this movie came out in theaters only in October with no digital date in sight whatsoever. And I basically waited <laughs> three months. Pissed somebody off to do oh, this. God. Do not understand it. It's so strange. But uh, yeah, it just all of a sudden came out on VOD last week. And so people definitely should watch it. And yes, we will have an episode coming up in a week or two. You know what else I watched, Dave? What did you watch? I watched Southland Tales. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I can't believe I missed out on that back in 2006. You need to go back to our Missing Pieces episode and listen to it. It's uh, Did that that guy ever make another movie? He made something I mean, he, called The Box, which I never did see. It's with Cameron Diaz. Did you see that? Uh-uh. Doesn't even sound familiar. 
Okay. Yeah. No, it, it came and went, and I don't think he's made anything since. This is the guy that made Donnie Darko. Yeah. And you can tell coming off of Donnie Darko, he could he could dial up anything. Like like they were like the entire world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. And he was like, yeah. Oh, I want that wrestler in my movie. <laughs> Hello, Mr. The Rock. Yes. You're, you're and I really Mr. like Sean William Scott. I want two of him. I did read a thing where it said that he had a strategy where he wanted to get people that were like underutilized in some way. Like they were sure. never properly used that he felt yeah. that they were never properly used. And that so, makes sense. That whatever. Makes sense. Go watch Southland tales, I guess. Yes. Watch that too. Well, uh, Q, why don't you tell people what's going on over on bird road, bird road. We're, I mean, whatever we're, we're, we're following the news, man. We're, we're, we're getting, we're, we're getting balls deep into the Biden administration. Donald Trump is gone. That means that the country's perfect again. Everything's fine. <laughs> yes. COVID is gone, obviously, yeah. because of we that. We can just coast from here on so out. We can just coast from here on out. <laughs> Check us out. Bird Road Podcast. Uh, you know, Miami-based leftists, you know, culture, politics, news, absurdist impressions, and things like that. And all of that. So, everybody check it out. <laughs> Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about One Night in Miami. Thank you to Q for joining me for that one. Everybody, make sure to check out Bird Road. We've been doing a lot of great episodes over there lately, and you should be listening. If you listen to Piecing It Together, you should be listening to Bird Road. So, uh, as always, I want to remind you, make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show and a whole lot more. And uh, also, we've got a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I combine content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, all, all my podcast-related stuff, as well as my music career stuff, my David Rosen albums and my film scoring. And I'm actually in the middle of working on a new feature film right now, which, once it's done, you know, assuming everything goes well, which I'm sure it will, but uh, I'm going to probably put up the whole score as a bonus on the Patreon. So lots, lots of really cool stuff hitting the Patreon soon. So make sure to check that out. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen, the produced by David Rosen Patreon. So that does it for today's episode. And we are going to play you out with a piece of music like I always do here on the show. And, you know, this movie starts out at one of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali's, one of his classic fights. And, this is a song I produced for a rapper here in Las Vegas named Skydro. Uh, it's a song called One More Round, and it's a totally boxing-themed song, so I figured it would be a good fit to play on this episode. So this is One More Round from Skydro's album Success Stories. Check it out. It is available, the whole album, on uh, iTunes and Spotify and all those places. And we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon.
ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fight Night, the place to guarantee to get the fight of your life. The stars are shining tonight. Round one. One more round and I'ma take this crown. One more round and he's going down. One more round and I'ma take this town. One more round and I can settle down. One more round and I'ma take this crown. One more round and he's going down. One more round and I'ma take this town. One more round. One more round. One it's more going round. down. Every day you got to fight just what they say. Surviving in the eight while you're trying to get the shade. Round every day you got to fight just what they say. Surviving in the eight. Hey. This is an action back, trying to knock out words Adrenaline in charge, a blow so armed the dangerous This soundtrack just blew the garage And the bonus features can reach across the lot And engulf salutes like a Sarge First of its kind, a musical motion picture Picture this, my lyrics in HD labeled Most explosive rhymes One more round and I'ma take this crown One more round and he's going down One more round and I'ma take this town One more round and I can settle down Till I found me good to see on the rocks Why don't you make it so strong Somebody calls it cops So they can say Mr. Freeze We're running the blocks And I can say the streets cold We're running the stops Feeling like I and Mike on fight night Way back in his prime The sequel the experts did the math They couldn't find no equal So they made his blows illegal One more take this crown One more round and he's going down One more round and I'ma take this town One more round and I can settle down West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.
All right. Anything you want to uh, go over before we jump in? I wonder if we're going to have some of the same, some, some same, some same Z's. I have a feeling we will, but, uh, and I don't really have a lot. So, I mean, you know. Evil Dead. Yeah, I definitely have Evil Dead on mine. The, the way things get crazier and crazier and crazier. And crazier. <laughs> yeah. you know what happens is like, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. 